Welcome back, everybody, to the Rising Action Podcast. I'm one of your lovely hosts, Josh, and over there, uh, through the power of the internet, is Seth. And we are here howdy, howdy. because a massive, wonderful, amazing thing happened over the weekend. What? And it's called Dune. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I saw it. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are we here? We don't know. <laughs> Uh, so the movie Dune came out, and we have been talking about it here on this podcast for quite a large amount of time. Um, even when it was being announced, I remember saying on the podcast, they're like, okay, this movie is going to be massive. Um, you know, be on the lookout, pay attention. And so it came out, and we both have seen it. And... How did you feel about it? What was... How about this? Dune is the kind of movie that came out... Or not the kind of movie. It came out on both HBO Max and in theaters. What was your theatrical experience like? Because I know you did not just stay home and watch it on HBO Max. Yeah, the uh, theatrical experience was awesome. I, I specifically... So my brother Silas and I went to the cinema. And mm. um, yeah... Pulled that card. There you go, Scorsese. Mm. I hope you're happy. <laughs> um, and so the only theater around me that has a premium screen is the the Grand Theater or the Amstar. So we ended up going and seeing it on their like big like 4K projection um, with the Dolby Atmos mm. uh, surround sound, which was well worth it. It was so good. And I, so I feel like I've got a retcon something from the previous podcast we did, Josh, because I remember saying that um, Denis Villeneuve didn't make it on my list as yeah. my top five directors. And I think I'm going to have to slide him in. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put him in there now. No, I, th- I, think he's, I think he earned one of those spots after Dune because yeah. I loved it. Let's just say there were many times when my butt cheeks were rumbling from the bass <laughs> <laughs> in the movie theater because of Hans yeah. amazing score, and I loved it. It wasn't just loud. It was experiential. Um, you know, the big knock of Tenet, while, I mean, it was a, it was a very large-scale, like, mind-bending film, but the knock of that movie was that you couldn't understand anybody saying anything, the score was too loud, blah, 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 blah. Dune... Yeah. The score is loud, but it's not too loud, and it's super bassy, and it's atmospheric. Um, like, it, it generates a feeling of, like, you're there more than, you know, when you watch a movie, like, obviously, you feel like you're there, because you see it, you, 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 you hear it, you, you, feel, you, get, you get an experience that, we, that you would not get if you're reading a book, but... For whatever reason, somehow, some way, maybe it was just the screen I watched it on, the sound system I was listening through. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was an experience that was just really, really rewarding, um, and it, it truly was a movie that you could tell was made to be viewed in theaters, which is really, totally. really, really great. Yeah, it felt so big and like grand and massive. Even like the the sound, like like what you were saying with Tenet. Like I think the sound for Tenet is fine, you know. Yeah. Um, if you have like a system that can handle it. <laughs> yeah. But 
Yeah. Like for the majority, like when we went and saw Tenet, it was just like too loud in the in the theater. Like yeah. when like when the gunshot would go off, we'd be like, oh, my ears are bleeding, you know, like. Um, <laughs> right. And it was so like, loud. Yeah, it was it was also like. Like the music for that was really great, but there was something much more like honed about this film. Like it just felt like expertly crafted from like the every mix avenue. was so dialed in. Yeah. And there were points where like Hans Zimmer's score would like mix with the sound effects and yep. it, it almost felt like the 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 elements of his music were like actually like happening in the story you know it, yeah it just it, it was so immersive it just really gripped you and like dragged me in and there were there were just scenes scenes on scenes that like kept giving me goosebumps like it i, I feel like watching it in the movie theater it was kind of like experiencing what like audiences might have felt watching like star wars in 1977 yeah for the first time just like this like bewilderment you know yeah and i don't i don't know anything about the source material other than some like basic facts of things that i've heard from friends but this movie really made me want to read the book what about you um i definitely don't relish the idea of reading the book because i know (laughs) Uh, so I've watched interviews with Frank Herbert, the author of Dune, and he's the kind of individual that I listen to him talk and I'm like, oh, wow, your book would completely baffle me. Just like the way he talks and writes and his philosophy, it'd be like reading a quagmire. But I do know that the story is overall really, really well done. Um and it came out in 1965, maybe. Um, and yeah, so some I think of that's that, actually like, perfect. <laughs> guess did I nail it? Right there. Yeah. Oh, let's go. <laughs> I think some some of just like the 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 style of sci-fi fantasy at that time is just so vastly different than contemporary work going out now. So it would be a learning curve. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings is a learning curve, but it's just altogether different. Um, they're very hard to compare to one another, but, um, Dune, it's, it's different in that it handles modern political themes, um, and character arcs, you know, one, one huge knock on the movie that I've seen on social media, um, and in magazines and whatnot is like the concept of the white savior, Mm, which I've, I've heard some criticism about that too. Yeah. What's so interesting about that is, I guess, spoilers for the story, it's not a white savior story at all. No. It's actually kind um, of a critique of imperialism. It's the critique of the... Yes. It's 100% a critique of, like, the... Mas- it's more... It's specifically targeted at the Messiah more than it is, like... Yeah, I, I don't know that white savior was such a, I guess, taboo subject in the 60s nearly as it is now so i don't know that he really had like the argument to argue against when he was writing dune so he's just targeting like the messiah trope um and i haven't read the book but i do know that paul atreides is going to make some decisions that will potentially positively but also potentially negatively affect himself and the people that he's supposedly leading um so that's going to be something that will be uh, 
really interesting to see how they kind of like tie all that together in part two, which which is they, happening. They green they they greenlit it uh, yesterday. We're recording yeah. this on a Wednesday. They they greenlit it on a Tuesday. That was very suspenseful. I don't know if they did that oh on purpose. Gosh. They were like, um, just so you know, there's a chance. There's a chance, guys, that part two might not happen. So Ugh. go watch the first one, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. There was a small part of me that just didn't want to go see it without knowing that part two was going to happen. Um, mm, yeah. Just because like, it's so incomplete by itself. That if part that two never happened, <laughs> I would. It would be such a bummer if part two never happened. My five star rating would instantly drop to like a four, just because totally. I'm not getting the full story. You know, yeah. Like the movie yeah. by itself is still awesome. It's still beautiful and and a great experience. But like, the story's half done. Um, totally. Yeah. What did you think? Um, I mean, first of all, Denis Villeneuve has a directorial and visual style that's, it's honestly unparalleled. I think it's, there's not any director that makes stories on a scale that Denis does with the, I guess the beauty that he also does. And he, he has a similar characteristic. Sorry. Go ahead. He's got a similar characteristic with uh, Christopher Nolan where he just doesn't make dud movies. Um, yeah. But he approaches the films not like a blockbuster. Uh, whereas Nolan, 100%, you know, for all his skills, he's kind of a blockbuster director. Whereas I feel like Denis Villeneuve is kind of more of an art house director making yeah. big scale movies. Totally. Um and he just kind of he approaches it visually just in a very unique way, very very unique yeah. way. I think you're right. He Denis always finds a way to weave in subtle poetic scenes and themes into the larger story that he's trying to tell. So he can have he can have these, you know, big action scenes with big explosions and butt cheek rattling bass <laughs> but he also has these really like small like contemplative moments within his movies um and i think that like rise and fall of like um i guess uh action and then like stillness is mm-hmm. something that i really like in stories so like um and one thing I noticed about Dune specifically is the um, sequencing of individual scenes is just on point. Like mm-hmm. each scene builds to this like crescendo that is just so beautiful. And I think that's yeah. what kept giving me like chills in the theater because like these scenes would just rise and rise and rise and rise and just keep like building this like suspense and or tension and I, I would just get caught up in it because all of these different elements, visual uh, visual uh, aids, audio aids, are just like slamming together into this like awesome experience. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say Denis has kind of like transcended the blockbuster yeah. in favor of this like interesting like middle ground where he's making mm. these really like interesting art house films on like hundred million dollar budgets. Yeah. 
I think I heard a lot of, I think some of there, there was two main pushbacks that I heard coming out of the movie. One was the white savior, um, trope that appeared to be in there, but also some people really had difficulty getting through it. Maybe it was the slow pacing. Um, and I, I understand that to a certain extent because Villeneuve's films, they are slow. I mean, he takes his time. Um, but this one especially, because I think that there's, there's so much in terms of the story that you have to flesh out getting into the film. Yeah. That like you've got to take your time with just a lot of this lore and world building and totally. and what like there's just a steep learning curve, um, and I don't know exactly how. Like there's no great way to do that. Like you kind of have to info dump the crap out of your audience, at the beginning of this movie because there's just totally. so much that you wouldn't understand unless they told it to you. Yeah. And they do that at the very beginning. The first montage is info dump. Um, I don't, One thing I don't know. that I appreciate about Dune specifically is they found really interesting ways to do info dumps. Like, it's not all just like one big like series of expositional dialogue sequences. Like, right. at one point he's listening to the projector that's like telling him about Arrakis, and then right. another t- another point he's talking to his mother, uh, Lady Rebecca. Or not Rebecca, Lady Jessica. Rebecca Ferguson is the actor. <laughs> yep, Lady and, Rebecca um, Ferguson. <laughs> and then his his doctor. Um, and then so there's these like different ways, and he's talking to Duke Leto. Yeah. Um, so there's like all these different ways that Denis weaves in exposition that doesn't feel like it's pandering to the audience. It just yeah. feels more interesting and like conversations and or things that the actual character would be doing. Mm-hmm. So it never feels like stagnant. Like I never feel like I'm just getting information because I need to know this particular thing. And that's the yeah. only reason. Yeah. I think that's, there's a probably like the first, I don't know, 20 ish minutes. Um, They're there to build character to kind of set things up, but also to give you some exposition about the world. And, um, you know, I didn't read Dune going into this, so I didn't know a lot of this stuff. I knew like the very basics. I kind of knew, yeah. you know, some of what I'd learned from listening to interviews and just kind of like being dialed in with the fantasy community. Like you just kind of pick up on stuff, but I didn't really know a whole much of anything. So yeah, I mean, either. Um, it yeah, was totally it was, easy to pick up on though did you feel that way yeah like did you feel like the the lore and like the names of everybody and like the names of places and things were like easy to grasp sort of um i think the important one the important ones yes there were definitely moments when like they would say somebody's name and i was like i have no idea who that is (laughs) (laughs) you know like you know they they would talk about some other person (laughs) right the bene Gesserit, and i was like the bene like the reason Say I was able to remember that was because of the word Jesuit. <laughs> yeah. So, like I was thinking like, okay, the Jesuits, those are these witch ladies. <laughs> and there's this old lady who's the, the head Jesuit. <laughs> and that's, that's how it all works. Like that's funny. I, I did the same thing <laughs> on the car ride home. I was like, what were those Jesuit ladies? <laughs> what were the, 
Yeah. What were the Jewish nuns that wore like weird things and poked Paul with that thingy? <laughs> so like, I definitely couldn't like keep track of everything. Um, but like the names were really interesting. You know, sometimes um, you'll you'll read fantasy or sci-fi or watch a movie and like the names are just so outlandish and like so obviously an attempt to create a fantastical name. So like, you know, names yeah. like Atreides, um, Harkonnen, Arrakis, um, and then some of the uh, the local names on Arrakis like felt like they belonged in that world, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like the language matched the culture that it was coming from a lot of the time. So I could kind of like figure out like, okay, you know, this is related to this and this is kind of related to this. And then eventually you just kind of figure it all out. And like the worms even have some cool name and you know, like there's, yeah. there's a lot there. There's so much world there. It's very much the iceberg effect where like, you know, there's so much going on below the surface and you're just getting enough to kind of like cobble your way through. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, but I could totally also see where somebody watching it would be like, what the frick is going on? Like, who's the bald guy? And why <laughs> yeah. is he of, why is that dude floating? Like, there's a lot going on where you're like, I don't understand. Isn't that Jabba the happening. Hutt? <laughs> right. He totally looks like Jabba the Hutt. And then I, yeah. I watched an interview on my way home where I like played it in the car. And apparently that dude is like trying to become a sandworm or something. What? No, that sounds weird. That makes sense though. Right, but like Ooh. I I read there or I heard um, maybe it was a a lore video or something okay. where they were saying that the the head guy Harkonnen, um, the Baron, yeah, the Baron is trying to be a sandworm, which makes absolutely no sense, and it also makes sense at the exact same time. Like how does yeah. how does that all? I don't know. I don't know how it works, and I don't know why either. Like why would you want to be a worm? Why would you not? Did you see those things? <laughs> yeah, but they're huge. And he's just exactly. a he's just a wee person. Like, well, he's not a wee person. He's a very large person. He Dude, had like my the fattiest traps. Yeah, what well, uh that guy was gross. It was like, disgusting. For a villain, he wasn't that like well fleshed out yet. But like right. at the same time, I was pretty intrigued. Yeah. Yeah, when he floats through the uh, Atreides Palace on Arrakis with like his army with him, I was like, that's terrifying. That's yeah. absolutely terrifying. So one thing I really liked about the world building in particular was a specific scene where um, one of the Fremen, Javier Bardem's character, I don't remember the character's name right off the top of my tongue, but... Um, no clue. He, like, he enters the... Atreides, you know, uh, throne room or like whatever. And he addresses them with like, by spitting on the desk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, and they're all offended. And then, uh, um, Duncan Idaho is like, he's, that's like a, that's like a good thing. Like he, yeah. He's like, we appreciate you donating the gift of your body's water. Yeah, thank you for uh, your body's moisture <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I loved that. I thought that was like a, I mean, that's probably from the book, but I thought that was an interesting way to establish a culture. Yeah. You know, that a desert would, culture, too. 
yeah, that would that would consider their bodily moisture as sacred, you know, right. because it's so rare or like they need to conserve it. Um, yeah, it's so arid. You know, like the the scene when the doctor is kind of giving them, I guess, describing the suits and explaining, you know, how they all work. And um, there's a line when she says, like, with these suits, you might lose, you know, what one? A I don't know. Two full of water. A thimble, yeah, a thimble yeah. full of water in twelve hours or something like that. Like. Super cool, and, you know, with sci-fi, I mean, there's obviously always gadgets and, like, science involved, um, but this felt like sci-fantasy, where there's there's the scientific-ish elements and the, um, you know, the space travel and, like, the things you might find in a typical sci-fi, but it is so much more fantastical, and it feels a lot more like fantasy than any typical sci-fi would. Um, and I think that's, you know, Herbert is doing that intentionally, I believe. Um, I think he's been quoted as saying that he wrote um, sci-fi for the non-sci-fi reader. So mm. there's there's less in terms of like math and whatnot that you would have to figure out. But <clears throat> there's like a basic, okay, this is a desert situation you know this culture the fremen are um they're a desert people like what would they do in order to survive in a desert and the way he solved those problems was really really interesting yeah totally like that um the cool like sand tent thing that they have oh yeah like towards towards like the center of the film um Paul and Lady Jessica are are basically like hiding out in this tent outside of the city and the tent gets like blown over by um sand like in a in a storm mm-hmm. and it kind of gets covered up in like this dune basically and they have to like use this like interesting like tool to get out of the out of the like dig their way out of the tent I thought all that was pretty neat. And then the like yeah. cool like um dragonfly helicopter things. Oh yeah. I thought were rad. And the the like sound design for those. That was were so really cool I, too. okay. There was a moment when I distinctly remember thinking like what did they do to get the sound for these things? Yeah. Because there was there was a bass and like concussion to them that you're listening to and you're like okay that like like what did they do (laughs) did they like foley something for that or did they just like create a sound out of thin air i don't know but like if they foleyed something it's the best foley i've ever seen because that was like some dork like in the recording room just being like (laughs) (laughs) probably and then they like put a bunch of reverb on it (laughs) yeah put a bunch of reverb added a bunch of bass i don't know it was cool um yeah totally so how did you feel about Paul's character? Because we were talking before recording about how difficult it is to do passive characters. And I think Paul's character is incredibly passive and he's kind of dragged along by the story. Um, And there's two, there's two sides to it. There's the side that says Timothy Chalamet 
acted the character wonderfully and he did a brilliant job and it was just fantastic to watch. And then there's the other side of it that says, well, okay, maybe he acted good, but the character itself didn't really do a whole lot. So there wasn't really much for him to do in the first place. How did that all? Cause I think those two things at different points are probably true at the same time. Um, but it's kind of difficult to rationalize within yourself to figure out which one you sort of lean either way. Yeah, I think there's a there's a silver lining there because like what you were saying about, you know, the book being rather old, um, you're kind of limited to what the book did as far as the, the characters and like their decisions and their personalities. And um, and we were talking to before we started recording about how modern writing has kind of shifted um like you've got the the interesting like anti-hero um archetype and just characters in general i feel like have evolved past like the the one or like the stereotypical like hero's journey type thing yeah so i I do see the knock on paul's character being a little one note um and just kind of passive and like along on this you know hero's journey type thing Mm-hmm. there's definitely a place for that and i don't i don't think well i'll see about the book but i don't think that paul in the film is difficult to get behind and enjoy as a character i think they did a really good job making him feel like a human who is a little out of his depth mm-hmm. um kind of like a fish out of water situation. Yep. Um, but also making him seem competent and like smart enough to like get out of certain situations or like, so that really heart pounding scene with the, um, the Benny Gesserit. Um, and they're in like this cool looking library and with the box of the gum Jabbar is what it's called. The box of yeah. pain. Um, I thought that was, a great scene to have right at the beginning of the film to kind of show what kind of character Paul is. Yeah. Like he's, he is sort of frail. You can kind of assume he's frail, but he has Mm -hmm. this inner strength that kind of surfaces when he's put in a, in a situation that is complicated or like, um, and that, that builds throughout the film where he kind of has to like um, dive into that like and, and bring up that like inner strength to like to survive, you know. And I think that's yeah. a good that's a good um, character trope for this specific story. Um, we'll see what they do with like the the whole the one thing like this mm. Messiah character. Um, it could be interesting and it could also like fall kind of flat and seem cliche. Yeah, some of the foreshadowing for it, it doesn't I don't know that it sets itself up to where you can figure out exactly how they're going to go about it. Um the foreshadowing in the film in general is really really great in terms of yeah. setting up the payoffs that they want to do later. Um they don't necessarily pay them all off in this film. But they're definitely set up to pay off in part two. Um, 
the Messiah part of it, I don't know. I mean, it's so subtle. It almost feels thrown in kind of the last second. And I think yeah. the subtlety of it is probably really intentional. Um, mm. cause it's not really that important yet. And no, it hasn't been. It, it really hasn't. And like in this film, the stuff that Paul deals with is mostly just figuring out like who he is and um, is he going to step up to whatever expectations he has or is he going to take advantage of the opportunity that he's been given to be whatever it is he is supposed to be. We just don't know what he's supposed to be yet and we don't know what the Benny Jesuits <laughs> have said <laughs> he's going to be. Like there's a whole scene sort of at the beginning where the Reverend Mother um, says like, basically like he has potential for something. We just don't know what it is unless you've read the book, in which case you do know what it is. Um, so I don't know how they're going to use, like, I, I don't know how they're going to bounce the, the, the Messiah thing. Um, really the only time they talk about it significantly is when they first show up at Arrakis and everybody starts chanting and he's like, yo, what's that? And his mom's like, oh, they're superstitious. Well, she doesn't yeah. really say that. She says like, they believe you're the thing. The, yeah, and then the and then Paul's like, um, they believe what they've been told or something like that. I thought that was an interesting yeah. swing on that, like um how stories can like kind of shift an entire like culture into like believing so. I, I just think that was kind of an interesting little nod to like the theme of the film. You know, even though it's not really like the head theme yet. I feel like that's going to be a big theme for the, for part two, like yeah, going forward, like how, do, like what actual power does Paul have and does mm. he have any, or is it just this like assumed power because of his like lineage or like his, the like rumors surrounding him? I think that's pretty intriguing. The fact that like, we don't actually know other than a few like small signs that could have weight to them or they could just be totally false. You know, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've set up like, you know, the, the power structure and the, you know, Lady Jessica is apparently a powerful character. Um, the Bene Gesserit in the film are apparently powerful characters. You just don't really know how. And like, there's really nothing to compare them to. You know, a good example of this is um, in this film, there's always something to show scale. Um, yeah. So like for the sandworms, for example, you know, they juxtapose them with humans or the ships or the little copter things to show like how big these things truly are. With the power structure in this film, there's not much of that going on. So you really don't know how powerful anybody is because there's no juxtaposition between them. Um, so you see uh, an ability called the voice that Paul mm. and his mother have the ability to do where they can uh, compel people to do what they want, but they really only use it once. And so you don't know like, okay, well, if they go up against a more quote-unquote powerful character, can they reject it? Or is it something that's just yeah. this all-power ability of compel compulsion to do yeah, like whatever? Yeah, what's the extent of the power? 
Right. I was going to ask you, what do you think about the way they handled that, the concept of the voice, like from a filmmaking perspective? Because I think Denis did something really interesting with it. How, I like, thought it was fantastic. Yeah, because it's not like in other things where they have powers that are kind of similar to this. Like, I feel like they would just show like the person saying something and maybe distort their and voice And then the a little person bit. just like does it. And then the person just like, you just show the person like doing it like a zombie. <laughs> right. But in this, they did it really in a really interesting way by like almost making it seem like the person like faints or like suddenly becomes unconscious. And then all of a sudden they're like doing, they're like done doing the thing that they were told to do. What do right. you think about that? I thought that was like a genius way to get around some like awkward scenes. <laughs> yeah, that plus the way that they, um, I guess, distorted the voices. There was mm -hmm. much more impact to it. Um, like the the best example I could think of was the Jedi and Star Wars using like mind tricks on somebody because it's essentially yeah. the exact. It's the exact same thing. I feel like Star um, Wars got a lot of inspiration from Dune. It for sure. Um, yeah. And I think also vice versa. Like, I know for a fact that Frank Herbert wrote um, a description in a later Dune book where uh, he describes a culture as like three PO'd. And it like he explains it and it means something. But like there's obviously some back and forth going on between Star Wars and Dune where they're Interesting. they're taking okay. things from one another, which is really, yeah. really funny. But that is funny. Yeah. So the voice is basically like Jedi mind tricks. And I it felt like there was much more impact to whatever they were doing than anything that happened in Star Wars. Because they would just like a Jedi would wave a hand and then all of a sudden a person would do whatever, you know, they told him to. And these are not the, the same you're looking for. Right. <laughs> right. It's that thing. It's, um, but, but there's more impact to it. And maybe it's the way that they distort the voices. Maybe it's the way that the, uh, compelled person acts. Um, it's just less blank, I guess, you know, like, yeah, there's totally a zombie effect going on, but it's just less like, Oh, they have no emotions now. <laughs> And, yeah. and they're doing what you told them to do. Um, but I think mostly it's the way that they treated the voices that really kind of made it interesting because at the very beginning, um, Paul and, and Lady Jessica are like working on his ability to use the voice. Um, and it's almost like they just tap into a different pitch of voice and that allows them to do it. Yeah, and, something like that. And I think that that's, yeah, I think that's so much cooler than just like waving your hand and saying something. Um, yeah. It feels like it's a learned skill. Yeah. I like that a lot too. I did. <laughs> so this is like my one criticism for the film. And yes, you can have criticisms for a, a film that you think is, you know, a five star movie or whatever. Like, um, yeah. So it's right at the beginning. It's after that great opening scene when Zendaya is all like, um, doing the narration and then like the, the when she's the like, Oh, the Harkonnens the, suck. Yeah. <laughs> They've ravaged our lands. Um, yeah. but Paul is like sitting, you know, with lady Jessica and she's like, ask for the water using the voice or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then this was like the one moment that like 
just made me giggle and I know it was a little unintentional and Tim, poor Timothy Charlemagne. I, this was probably a really hard <laughs> line to read, but he was, he's just like, give me the water. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so funny. It was yeah. like, but it tapped into like kind of the corniness of like some of the Lord of the Rings dialogue or like some of the Star Wars dialogue where you're yeah. just like, oh, that like, there's no better way to do that. No, it just has to be kind of like stupid sounding, you know. The best part of it though was Lady Jessica's reaction because she's like, "Okay, you think for a second, oh, it's gonna work, it's gonna work," and then nothing happens. And it's kind of like <laughs> that commercial for the insurance company where the dude has a dollar bill on a fishing line and he's just dangling it in front of you and he's like, <laughs> "Oh, oh, oh, you almost got it." I remember that <laughs> one. Yeah, that was a good one. It totally felt like that. Like she goes, mm, "No." <laughs> nope sorry yeah it was so yeah. goofy um i think the best character though for this movie easily was duke leto um paul's dad like okay. he was so far and away to me the best character i felt like lady jessica was kind of annoying um not gonna lie Duncan Idaho was awesome, but he was just like a jabroni a little bit. <laughs> and um, Paul was kind of passive. So, like, he wasn't bad to me, but he definitely wasn't the best character. He didn't steal the show for me. Yeah. Um, I felt like Leto and Oscar Isaac's portrayal of him was so layered and dynamic. Um, mm. And he managed to do the, like, he gave you the impression he was a great father and a great leader at the exact same time. Um, there's a lot of political undertones and layers in this film that they really only pull back like a couple of, but you can tell that there's just a lot more going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and they really only illuminated a couple of them, but you could tell Leto was a savvy political leader, um, and some of the conversations that he was having, um, but he was also a great father. And I think that those two things are not often found in stories. You either yeah. are one or the other. And it was really interesting to see both. And it being a character that was kind of like, you know, if you were to create a chosen one archetype, I feel like Leto would fit whatever that archetype might be. He was just like an older version mm -hmm. of it. And Paul didn't quite yeah. fit the chosen one archetype because he's just kind of like a, I don't know, he's just kind of bumbling around. Like he's not ready for it yet. And you can tell. Um, but Leto yeah. was, Leto was really, really well done. I felt like. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I really like that. Um, Leto was such like a competent leader and father. Cause you're right. Like the, the like absent dad, the like absent dad or like the, the like dead dad or like the, like yeah. that's l literally like the catalyst for like. Every Everything. single like hero's journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I did like that. I mean, spoilers. Something does happen to Duke Leto. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he at least has a, a, a rather large role in the story, at least yeah. this part of, this, of the story. And I did like that. I really loved the scene where Paul is like, what if I don't live up to your expectations? Mm. Like, and he's, and he like gives him, a, there's a lot of touching in this movie. Have you noticed that? There's a <laughs> lot of like hugging and like patting and like, 
hitting oh, like yeah. chests and like touching like <laughs> necks and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, which I, I no, like they're... because like it has to be like with cinema, like you want your characters to be interacting physically. So yeah. like, I think that's yes. a good move on Denise's part, like directing, like telling the actors to like touch each other because I feel like. There's so many movies like where the actors literally just do not touch each other unless it's like a romantic or like, you know, a love scene or something. And that was refreshing. I just like seeing like uh, Jason Momoa just like, like slapping Timothy Charlemagne's shoulder or something. That was just great. I love that. There was a whole Um, bunch of my boy. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, It just felt warm. You know, it felt like the atmosphere was like warm until it all, you know, until it changes and the, and the tone gets more dire. But um, yeah, about Leto, like I really like that his answer to his son is like, you're still going to be everything I expected you to be, which is my son. Yeah. Like, that's great. Like that is such a good, like, um, I don't know. I just think that, I think that makes sense. I, I wish there was more stuff like that in, in fantasy storytelling not that there like has to be but it was refreshing yeah it was really really i i liked him a lot as a character um the big comparison for this film and probably rightly so is the fellowship of the ring um they have very similar well they kind of have similar beats they Mm -hmm. end abruptly uh very similarly Uh, in fact i was reading a Twitter thread the other day where, you know, somebody was talking about how the fellowship ended abruptly as well as uh, Dune part one did. And they were arguing that the fellowship had a more designed ending, whereas um, Dune just kind of ends. Uh, It's Um, kind of the same though. Like, yeah. And I guess you could say that with, the film Fellowship of the Ring that it was more designed because in the books, in the Lord of the Rings books, the fellowship ends before Boromir's death and before the party is split up, you know? And then in the film, it's Boromir dies in the first one and then the party is split up and they walk off into the sunset or whatever and like the fellowship theme plays. Um, This... Dune part one was kind of the same. Like they kind of like they, they have like the climactic duel where Paul like earns his place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they walk off into the sunset and the music plays. <laughs> yep. And like, there's, there's a promise of more adventure, you know, it's kind of the same. Eh, it's kind of the same ending. I don't think that's valid criticism. Yeah. I obviously the movie is incomplete. And yeah, it was a very similar feeling to um, Avengers Infinity War where it leaves you on this really large cliffhanger and you know you're going to have to wait like two years for the next one to come out so that you can see how it all wraps up. And there's a frustrating element to that, going into it blind, not having read the book already because um, you just want to get more payoff. For a movie like this, for something this huge, like I want it to wrap up nice into a cool little bow, and I want to just leave the theater and think, frick, that was awesome. Like, what an experience. And there yeah. is some of that, but the story itself does not wrap up neatly. 
it's 100% a, like at the very end, there's the manufactured line that Zendaya says of like, this is just the beginning. And you're like, oh, I <laughs> oh, never thunk true. it. We're walking into yeah. the desert. He just killed yeah. some dude. Like, no way. Um, <laughs> you know, like. That's true. It, I don't know. I, there is kind of, for every like beginner, like for every beginning film in a franchise, they kind of do that though. Like Fellowship of the Ring is kind of the same way. Like Frodo and Sam are like, hiking into the towards Mordor or whatever and like Frodo turns to Sam and he's like I'm glad you're with me or something like that yeah some some like corny Lord of the Rings line that I love um (laughs) so it's kind of like yeah I get the like it's only the beginning thing is kind of like almost like a trailer for part two Mm -hmm. but so is like every cliffhanger in like every movie that has like a part two or like a to be continued. Right. You know, I kind of miss that like side of storytelling where you're like really looking forward to seeing the next part of something or like reading the next part of something. Like right now, that's how I feel with a book series that I'm reading. The King Killer Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss. Mm. It's been 10 years since he published the second book in the series and there's no sign of the third book coming out soon <laughs> and Golly, i'm dying has it to been read the 10 third years book. since a wise man's fear yes it has and Holy i'm just on edge i'm like when do i get to read the end of the story but at the same time i'm enjoying it because i'm like oh like i have something to look forward to you yeah. know like the the story is not over like i I get I get to enjoy something in the future that's like in the same vein of like epic proportions as this part was, you know. So right. it's like I kind of like the anticipatory storytelling thing. Um, so, do you think Dune the franchise will kind of turn into the massive property that Lord of the Rings did, that like Marvel films did, Star Wars did, where it just kind of like overtakes the public's consciousness and turns into like the next massive, you know, sci-fi fantasy franchise kind of thing. No, really? I don't think so. What do you think? Why? Well, I do have an opinion and I would also agree with you, but why do you think so? I think Dune is too unapproachable for like too philosophical r- ridiculously large audiences like yeah so we've kind of had the franchise nature of film like it's been shifted right with the marvel movies and everything like that like the sheer amount of people that went to see avengers endgame <laughs> It was insane. I don't think that's replicatable with Dune. Like, I, I, I feel like Dune could maybe get to the level of Lord of the Rings or something like that, which did have, you know, broad appeal for a lot of people. Um, but, like, The Return of the King, the final chapter in The Lord of the Rings, I mean, that that movie made, like, $800 million worldwide or something. Mm -hmm. Which when you put that up against Star Wars and like 
Avengers and even just like some of the, you know, dumber movies like Transformers or like Jurassic Park or oh, something. God. Like it yeah. doesn't even like compare. So this is what I think. I think Dune is going to find its audience with the nerds like us. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I I feel like this like Dune was specifically tailored to to my um the things that I like in a movie or in a story. Um but I don't think it's going to stretch much farther when it comes to more casual audiences. Mhm. And I think it has to do with the you know slightly more in-depth philosophies woven through the story. A little bit of like you know, dissonant characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. And I don't think it has the, the like appeal. I kind of view it as like game of Thrones in a way, but yeah. I don't think it has the same appeal that game of Thrones did. I think game of Thrones did a better job of like making it like this hardcore <laughs> kind of like event like for the that kind of like everybody could get in on yeah um yep and i don't see dune i see dune being pushed aside as being a little bit more like this corny like old book series that finally got turned into a movie that was good you know so yeah what do you think i want to hear what 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 you think about that there are I think we're already sort of seeing it now with it coming out already that there are audiences that just aren't going to connect with it for whatever reason. Maybe it's the pacing. Maybe it's the, I guess, steep expositional curve that you have to get through. The just like the whole depth of a new world that just isn't going to make sense. Like Lord of the Rings was massively popular before the movies were made. And so I felt like, and maybe I was wrong because I was like three years old when I was born when they were making the first Lord of the Rings movie. So, you know, yeah. the, I felt like the receptiveness was there already for Lord of the Rings just because the books had been so popular for, you know, 40 years. Um, you know, they were worldwide, like, you know, Everybody knew about them. And Dune, in a, in a sense, is that way, but it doesn't have the household name that Lord of the Rings had before the movies were made. Um, and that is for any number of reasons. And it could be just because it's sci-fi. Um, it could just be that the themes are a little bit denser and the characters are a little bit... Uh, Maybe that they're like some of the, some of a bit of throwback, fantastical, tropey characters, um, and those tropes haven't held up as well to modern audiences. Audiences and the tropes have changed, and the styles have changed, and that could be in there too. But all that to say, they picked probably the best director you could get to make a franchise based on a on a a, a book like Dune. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You need you need somebody like Denis Villeneuve who's going to bring the world to life. And there's probably nobody better 
for this type of world. Like, I think that there are directors that are fantastic with world building, but world building on this scale, world building with, you know, like this set of problems that you've got to figure out how to translate on screen, there's nobody better. Um, so in that sense, like the movie itself is great. The flip side of that is there's dense themes and plot, you know, things for lack of a better term that just need to happen that are just more difficult to pick up on. And so the movie kind of revels in the fact that it is a slow burn and that there's a lot of things that need to be set up in order for these payoffs later to work. And for yeah. some people, that's just not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Lord of the Rings was kind of a slow burn. But honestly, like, if you just paid attention to plot archetypes, you knew what was going to happen the whole time. And Dune is a lot of subversion of those traditional plot archetypes. Um, so you really don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. Like, you know, I haven't read the book, so I don't know the end. I don't really know how Dune ends up. Um, and I don't really want to know because I think I want to be surprised in the theater when it does happen. I want that moment of like, whoa, if there is a whoa moment, but yeah, it just is, it's denser. It's tougher to understand. There's a learning curve. It's a massive world, massive world. And, and to translate that to the screen is difficult and you just kind of have to get on board with it. And, you know, typically with a book, the saying will go that like you need to draw your reader in early um, with something that's easy to understand a scene, a character, you know, do something that they're going to latch onto and then, you know, walk their hand through what you need to get them through in the first little bit until you can get to a point where they've bought in enough that you can do more with the world building with uh, more complex plot lines with characters that they'll trust you through those things that'll happen later. Um, and there might just be a, a large crowd of audiences that won't trust Denis Villeneuve to, to take their hand through all these things that they have to get through in order for the payoffs to work. And unfortunately, Dune doesn't wrap itself up super tight bow on top kind of deal because it's just not that kind of movie. It's, it's got a sequel. So there's going to be a lot of audiences that are either going to leave um, disappointed that something magnificent didn't happen at the end or disappointed that they watched a movie that was nearly three hours long and felt like they didn't get anywhere, or disappointed because maybe they wanted a, um, a central character to kind of like take the reins of the story and, and lead it where it was going to go. And then there's some people that are just not going to be able to get through the fact that like it's a very artful movie and it's contemplative, and um, they want a blockbuster movie. And while it is going to make a lot of money and be technically a blockbuster, that's not what this is. It's not the next Transformers movie. It's like the opposite of that. And for, uh, for folks like you and I, like that's the kind of movies we want to watch. Um, but I think also for wider audiences, that's not the kind of movie that they want to watch. And so there's going to be a large following and probably a pretty big fan base, but I don't know that it's going to get the, you know, the massive fandom that Star Wars got or the massive fandom that Lord of the Rings has um, certainly won't get close to Star Wars because I think Star Wars is just untouchable in terms of its its fans. But, you know, I don't know. It, it really depends on how the second one does, honestly. Like, if the second one has a great ending, um, 
is a little bit more approachable and I don't even really want it to be more approachable. Um, but there's things that they could do in order to potentially, uh, make it, you know, greater, uh, have a better reception by wider audiences. But I don't, I don't think with Denis Villeneuve at the helm that that's going to happen. Um, Hmm. you know, we talk a lot about, you know, why, why does Denis Villeneuve make these great movies that like nobody cares about? Like Blade Runner 2049, for example. Oh, you know, that's such a great movie. Such a good movie. I mean, it is a masterpiece of a film. It's an epic and it's a follow up to a hugely popular movie. And so you would have thought like the makings were there for blockbuster. You're bringing back Harrison Ford from the original. You've got Jared Leto. You've got Ryan Gosling. You've got, uh, gosh, uh, Anna Diarmas, like super famous actors, A-listers. And you would think like, okay, this is all the makings of a $1 billion film. And it made like barely 200 million, maybe something like that. Internationally, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't, it didn't do so hot. And like, how does that happen? How does Denis Villeneuve make this master epic movie and nobody cares? Well, I think it has to do with, so, and I think Dune kind of sits in this same seat as Blade Runner does in a way. Dune's going to do better because it has a slightly broader appeal than anything that could come out of the Blade Runner series could. But and it's got a ori- more blockbuster cast as well. Yeah, definitely. The original Blade Runner wasn't... It didn't do that well financially either. But it had a cult following many years down the road. Like, Blade Runner, the original, is like one of the biggest like, um, kind of like cult films out there. Like... Um, and I think that's why they ended up doing another one, like a follow-up film, because they thought that maybe the like the audience that the film, the original kind of gained over time would show mm. up. And maybe they did, but I think that's all who showed up. <laughs> right. You know, I don't I don't think there was anybody else who was like, oh, like what is this weird like science fiction movie that looks pretty boring and probably is like why would I go watch that? You know, and I, I think Dune is going to kind of have a similar thing. I think it's going to do pretty well enough to garner a second part. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Um, but I also don't think I, I think it's going to really find its footing um, in like the cult film sphere. Um, yeah. And I think that's just the nature of Denise films, like you were saying, like. I think he just he makes films that are for a specific audience that he's hoping will break through, but they don't all they they haven't really yet. So. Yeah, it's so weird. It's it's on one hand sort of frustrating because you just want it for him that like, you know, he didn't even know that Dune was going to get part two when they released the first one, you know, and he was like doing interviews yeah, you gotta like you feel terrible for him. He's doing interviews where he's basically like, "Yeah, I'm going out on a limb and hoping that this movie doesn't bomb because if if it doesn't, we're not getting a second one." And like the fact that that was ever a possibility is mind blowing. With this cast of like absolute a-listers, like they went through and said, 
All right, what are the 10 most famous actors in Hollywood? Give me all them. <laughs> <laughs> and and like one of the best five directors working in Hollywood, give me him and give me probably one of the most famous sci-fi stories that hasn't been adapted yet. Well, that's not true. It's been adapted. Yeah, not not Dave, adapted well. Not adapted well. David Lynch did it in the 80s and it was hot cheeks. Um <laughs> And then I think they did a TV show with uh, McAvoy. Um, what's his name? James? <sighs> James McAvoy. Yep. They did a TV show with him, and it was also Hot Cheeks. James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James. <laughs> anyway. Um, you know. Oh. One, so, one to five stars. How'd you rank it? Oh, dude, it's a five-star movie for me. I was immersed the entire time. Um, I loved literally every second of it, including the give me the water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, dude, I'm so stoked for the second one. Like, yeah, I I loved this movie. I I think this is in contention for Denis Villeneuve's best with Blade Runner. Where Um, would you rank it in his, in his films? One or two, because I think, um, Blade Runner is just as good, if not better, like a better made film, maybe. I don't know. But I think Dune is a little bit more fun to watch. Mm. Ah, I don't know. Yeah. Blade Runner is so good. I, th- those two, Dune and Blade Runner are tied for me. Then like Arrival and then Sicario. And, and those are all the Denny films I've seen. I haven't seen uh, Prisoners or Incendies yet. Whew. Yeah, I Dune is up there at the top. Um I think I like it better than Blade Runner. Um but I do like Arrival better than Blade Runner as well. So I might have Arrival and Dune sort of on even footing. Uh Blade Runner All right. behind and then probably Prisoners and then um Sicario. Um but like they're all sort of equal. It's very it's very difficult to rank his movies yeah. because I feel like they're all relatively similar in how quote unquote good they are. Um Yeah, the quality's there for all of them. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think Dune and Blade Runner 2049 have similar feel where at uh but Dune is just bigger. Um Yeah. And th- I think that there is I I I think it is better. Uh that's tough because you know 2049 was so good, but I feel like Dune is just I don't know. It is it's an experience. It's a I haven't had that experience in a theater maybe since The Dark Knight. I mean, it it just hmm. It's something all to itself that's just unbelievable. It feels like you're witnessing something completely new, like you're witnessing magic being done yeah. in front of your face, which yeah, just doesn't totally happen. Yeah, that's how I felt about it, too. Yeah, the, the filmmaking was just so immersive. I loved all the acting in it. The script was great. The sound, are you kidding me? Yeah. I keep talking about that rumble. <laughs> but that rumble was so um, nice on your butt cheeks. <laughs> it was so nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah, everything about it. Greg Frazier's cinematography was yeah. 
epic and in scale and beautiful at the same time um yeah it's a it's a five out of five movie for me did you say five out of five too or or yeah something else? yeah it's a yeah it's a five star sweet i you know i could probably knock some of it just because it's a prequel or it's not a prequel it's a it has a sequel um it is a part one of two and so you know in that sense you could i guess make it it's it's not a five star it might be four but it will be dependent upon the second one to give it a definitive like okay this is actually how good it if the second one just comes out and flops which it won't because Denis Villeneuve will make it but I guess theoretically if it were to flop the first one will be worse um, because it's the same story it's connected so uh, I don't know yeah that would be Uh, too bad yeah Part one of two thus far, though, was super phenomenal. So yeah. if if you're listening and you have not seen Dune yet, well, that's a bummer because we probably spoiled the movie for you. Um, <laughs> if you have and you also have an opinion about, uh, you know, Dune and uh, is it as good as the book? I think that's something that we're really interested in, uh, neither one of us having read it. Um but also, where does it rank in some other uh, blockbuster franchises? Is it on even footing with Lord of the Rings? Is it comparable to Star Wars? Things like that. Let us know uh, on Instagram. You can follow us there at RisingAction underscore. Uh, go leave a comment and let us know how you feel, how you have felt about Dune. Uh, and tell us where you watched it. Because I think that's also really interesting to see if people actually left their houses and went and watched it in the theater. But Go to the theater. <laughs> Yeah, go see it. Please go see it in a theater. If you, I've been telling people all week, like if you're ever gonna go watch a movie in a theater, this needs to be the one. It is a theater movie. Like yeah, I want to get a, it. I want to get a home theater surround sound system just to watch yeah. this movie. And then go home and watch it on HBO Max afterwards because you're gonna want to watch it again right afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I am teeing myself up for viewing yeah. number two. I'm ready for also, it. Also, go see the last duel because. Your boy Ridley oh, Scott God. needs some help. <laughs> Has that movie made any money yet? No, it's it made like Does five it, million dollars. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. It made like the thirteen bucks that I paid for it, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I feel so bad. All right. Well, we won't go on. We won't go down this tangent. <laughs> yeah, go see the last duel. It's better than Dune. Anyway, uh, that's all for us. <laughs> we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rising Action. You can follow us on Instagram at risingaction underscore, and we will see you in the next episode.